Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your weekly port of call for everything to do with Fulham FC. Uh, And today is a little bit of a transfer special and I'm joined on tonight's podcast by Jack Collins. Hello listeners. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. How are you all doing? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, very good. Very good. Very happy. Bit of a diff one today because we're not at my work where we normally record this podcast. We're actually in my flat. This is a, a novelty, shall we say. Yeah, we're in the uh, best flat in South West London. I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah, it's a bit different recording it in a living room. Yeah, exactly. So you'll uh, tea, feel a bit more comfortable. Yeah, I bought sofa. I bought some little cakes from Sainsbury's for you. Everyone's very happy. So we're also recording this podcast right now on Facebook Live audio. So you can't see our faces, which is probably great for everyone involved. Um, but you can hear us. So if you are listening to us right now on Facebook, um, then do get involved. You can right now just uh, post any questions. That's uh, the theme for today, really. Uh, it's mostly a bit of a Q&A. Obviously, the transfer window ended on Thursday. Um lots happened uh, coming up to the deadline there was lots of rumours and lots of transfers that went through so we will answer any questions you've got related to transfers and plus we got loads of questions in yesterday via Twitter as well but um, first of all before we get on to that just got to say that Fulhamish is backed for the season by the guys over at Ladbrokes uh, right now if you go to bet.fulhamish.co.uk you can just put forward £5 and you will get £25 to play with and it will just cost you a fiver so bets.fullermish.co.uk to get that deal. Uh, without further ado, Dom, before we get, get on to some questions, what was your overall analysis on the final few days of the transfer window? I mean, looking over the final few days, I think fans were sort of expecting another marquee signing to come in. Obviously, we had Rui Font come in for £8 million. They were expecting someone out of Dwight Gale, Fernando Forestieri or Yotta. But I think that, that did we need... Do we particularly need that player? Because really, the only player we need to replace was Aluka, and I believe we've done that in with the likes of Johan Molo, we've got Jordan Graham in, and obviously we signed Shea Ojo. So I think if we were going to sign any of those three, anyway, I would have personally wanted Forestieri just because of the positions he could have covered. But I wasn't necessarily disappointed with our business in the last few days. I mean, uh, Molo was a free transfer, obviously, because he terminated his contract at Zenit St. Petersburg and then came over to us, obviously, and he seems very happy at the club. His interview seemed very upbeat about the project ahead, I think that's what he called it. And then Jordan Graham, we finally might have signed a winger who can cross the football. Yeah, I mean, I think overall you've got to look at that transfer window as a success. And you know, yes, I think that given the speculation that was going on towards the final days of the transfer window, I think we were supposed to, in some fans' eyes, to, to come through with a, a big name signing that would have pre- propelled us towards the playoffs but I think that was basically facilitated by the idea that Aluko had left and I think that if we'd looked at this transfer window in a different light and say that Aluko had been sold earlier in the summer potentially before the Hoifont signing then I think we'd all be looking at that as the kind of replacement player for that amount of money that we were we were looking for and I think that a lot of it comes down to timings 
And if we'd done things in a slightly different order, I think there'll be very little complaints about what Tony Khan and his team have achieved this window. Yes, there's no particular marquee player that, you know, a Forestieri or a Gale who have done it in the championship. But, you know, look at the expensive kind of players that have gone in for other clubs like that. Sam Winnell, who... Sheffield Wednesday made a massive point of signing in January and being like, oh, this is the man that's going to fire us back to back to the Premiership, Winnell and Rhodes. Rhodes can't get in the team and Winnell's been loaned out to Derby County in potentially the weirdest bit of transfer business, you know, that the, the window saw. And I think that when you, when you look at it in that kind of light, no one's guaranteed to come into this league and, and banging goals. You know, Aston Villa signing score, uh, Scott Hogan. Is, is the same kind of drill. He, you know, he's done okay since he went there for twelve million pounds, but by no means has Scott Hogan set the league on fire. And yeah, I think he'll be okay this year. But I don't think that the answer is necessarily always going for what's, uh, you know, proven, what's been tried and tested. Look at when we brought Louis Saha in, in you know, two thousand, two thousand and one. You know, he was a, he wasn't a player that was known to have been able to do it in the championship, but he came across and you know became probably Fulham's greatest you know, ever striker, in, in, especially in the last sort of 20, 30 years. So I think that we have, yeah, we've taken a risk at their parts, bringing in players that we don't necessarily all know and, and bringing in players that aren't quite the championship kind of experienced squad that, that the people might have been looking for. But I think that we've got to trust in the system. The system has been majorly successful for us in a number of ways. And I think that we can only see this going positively and I think we've got to look forward in a positive light. Yeah, I've sort of mentioned it on the article that we put on Fulhamish where everyone sort of made their views that obviously it's the second summer Transwindow window have used this statistical analysis and because last summer there wasn't really, or even January, there wasn't really any transfers that you could say were a massive mistake and if we look at the likes of Aise and Gabano specifically, they're now key assets to our squad. And did anyone have a clue who they were, unless you're big fans of either French or Belgian football? Well, a timeline from last Monday onwards, really, in my eyes. So all the hotter but rumours came around uh, around Monday. So, so we knew that was a possibility in the last podcast. Uh, we also were pretty much 99% confident that Shawnee Aluko was going to Reading. And that did happen actually a few hours later uh, on Monday evening. The rumour that we didn't know about on the last podcast... Uh, was Dwight Gale, which kind of came out of nowhere uh, late on Monday, around the same time that Sonia Luko's uh, transfer was confirmed. Now, hard to know actually how much truth there was in that rumour, but it was certainly a signing that kind of made sense. Um, quick, pacey striker, obviously scored a hatful of goals uh, at this level last season, doesn't look to be... Um, anywhere near first choice for Newcastle this season. So uh, despite the fact it wasn't happening and maybe it didn't look that possible, it it wasn't too hard to believe that we might be in the market for him, apart from the amount of money that he would have cost. Yeah, I sort of looked at him as out of the three that we were linked with that I wouldn't want in a way because I couldn't really see where he fitted in the system really. He, if he's going to be playing in the first 11, for me he'd be playing out wide left. Because I don't think you can take Yot, not Yotta, uh, Font out of the side because his form as Ipswich was brilliant what we were missing last season when we had Chris Martin or Aite or Cabana or whatever playing fourth nine so as I said I think it would have been a great signing but I didn't see him fitting in and I think it was as you said sort of speculation was made because of the sale of Aluko and as you said if Aluko was sold at the same time Scott Malone was we'd look at other transfers that we've made as their replacements then so like Rafa Suarez and Rui Font obviously did you do did you believe the Dwight Gale rumours yeah I did um, I think that it's 
not that weird an idea for us to have been in for Dwight Gale. I think that us asking about his uh, his of availability and you know looking to see if it was a possibility of bringing him in is no bad thing at all. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, and I don't see why it wouldn't be true. I also not that fussed about it not coming through in the end, if especially if what was on the table was actually a swap deal for Tom Kearney. So I think we've got to look at... I think Gale would have been a good signing, yes. I, I mean, I think he would have scored goals, but I also don't think it's necessarily you know, the one thing we were desperately looking for on, on deadline day. I don't think... You know, there's a lot. I've got a lot of stick, you know, online for criticising Abu Bakr Kamara over these last weeks. So a lot of people saying, yeah, he's young, he's he's raw, he needs time to develop, um, and then a lot of people saying, oh, we need another striker. And for me, those two things don't really add up. I mean, if you're going to have faith in Kamara, fine, um, but then don't come out and be like, oh, we didn't sign Gale. It's uh, you know, it's not it's what we wanted. So, I think it, it's important to think that. We have the depth and the ability to change the squad round. Yes, if Font takes gets a, an injury, then we might look a little bit light up top. But you know, last year, as we pointed out, we made significant strides forward playing people in in a false in a false nine position. We've added Mollo, who can play that position and has played that position before for Zenit. Um, and I think that we have enough strength in those attacking four kind of positions to be able to now rotate and deal with any crisis that might emerge. Moving on further through the week, so the Dwight Gale rumours came about, Sonia Luco was confirmed as I mentioned, uh, and then for about 24 hours it looked pretty much certain that Hotter was going to happen and I thought that Jack's money that he'd placed on him, sorry about that Jack. Yeah, let's not bring that up. Was looking pretty safe. I said all through Tuesday, I was feeling confident. Wednesday, it was getting a little bit like you could hear other rumours of other clubs being interested elsewhere. But I still thought we looked odds on to sign him. But then rumours were coming out about other offers being accepted and Fulham's not. Uh, And it turns out that was the case. And uh, about halfway through Thursday, he was confirmed to sign for Birmingham. Yeah, I think it probably had to do with just a direct rivalry between Fulham and Brentford, really. I think that's the main reason. I don't see Birmingham being able to offer anything we can't. I mean, we look a lot more promising as a project, I'd say, from a player's perspective. Maybe they could offer more money in terms of salary? You could argue that, because Harry Reddick likes to bankrupt clubs, and he's probably (laughs) on his way of doing that in Birmingham, the amount of players he signed in the last week or so. But yeah, I think Yotta, I thought it might happen, but I wasn't bothered if it didn't. I thought, yeah, it'd be a great addition. He'd be good to come into our side and replace Sonia Luco. But, yeah, I think he was always going to leave Brentford. That was that was a certainty for me. And it's quite weird because, obviously, he's been linked with Premier League teams, like the likes of West Ham, who were, were like, said, oh, you had to pay more. Maybe because they were just a Premier League side. But, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I think they just didn't sell it to us because the absolute fan outrage that occurred. But there's fan outrage. But I would, always, I would always have thought, is fan outrage... What's the price on that? I think it's important to remember that Yotta probably wasn't making all these decisions himself. Um, and I think that there, there's more than meets the eye on this one. We'll probably never know, uh, if, if we're honest, about exactly what happened those days. But I would be shocked if there wasn't some sort of agency I- involved in terms of you know his agent and, and what he demanded. And you know, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if there were offers on the table from both, you know, Fulham and and, Bre- and Birmingham to Brentford that were potentially both even accepted. But you know, the you know agency fees and, and those things we've seen over recent days that those kind of things can change transfers from 
you know, for, for, for the better or for the worse. And, you know, a lot of things come out in the last couple of days about A.D. Ward, um, who's an agent of, of Jerome Sinclair. And I don't know, I'm not going to just quickly plug my own work, but um, Bleach Report released a video behind the scenes from Deadline Day. Um, oh, yeah, Sheffield about United. Brilliant. Um, and it was, yeah, absolutely nothing to do with me then. I'm not, I'm not plugging myself here. Um, but it was a really good insight into how agents can kind of dictate moves and how their kind of position and, and able, ability to sort of influence the market can mean the difference between a player signing for one club or another. And, you know, A.D. Ward has history for this with, you know, the Sterling thing and, and doing the Oxlade-Chamberlain thing this summer. Um, and I think that if we, if we if it comes down to it, I'd be shocked if Yotta's agent isn't involved in somehow. And we know Redknapp has nous of dealing with deadline day and knowing how to break and, and, and make things happen on that day. And if it meant he just doubled his agent's fee and the agent was like, oh, I think for you the best move would be to go to Birmingham, you know, same salary, but it would it would help your reputation, you know, if it, for example. And he was like, oh, Harry Redknapp might be the man to give you a lift up to the Premier League in January. Then I wouldn't be surprised if that had something to do with it. And also with, you have to look at, it's, it's like, was he Spanish? Yes. And when it comes to Portuguese and Spanish players, I know it's like banned in England, but you always have third party ownership issues occurring. And although it's illegal in England, I'm sure there's some essence of that that occurs in these players. So it could, as you said, it could be to do with some maybe agent fees behind the scenes. Again, we could even offer a higher wage or something better to Yossa himself personally. But if Harry Redknapp in his ways has offered something through the agents that offers him his agent a better life than he's going to convince his, his um, client to take the offer. In simplistic terms, and I know we've literally just waxed lyrical for five minutes about how it's far more complicated than it seems. Let's say a player is going to move from Fulham and it's a star player. I won't, I won't, maybe a Tom Kearney or something. Yeah. Right. Would you accept that he went to a club that we have no rivalry with for... 25 million. I'm just plucking numbers out of the air here. Don't question that too much. Let's say to Sunderland, a team that we've got no animosity against, or QPR offered 35 million, but it's QPR. Would you be happy that we'd got 10 million pounds less because then, but then he went to Sunderland or 10 million pounds more, but he goes to a direct rival, which seems a little bit like the situation that potentially happened with Hotter. Birmingham got him at a slightly cheaper price because they're not our rival. Okay, but I think it's slightly different in the, in the scenario. What I would compare this to is, is, is Yotta going to us instead of um, Birmingham is a bit like us selling Tom Kearney to Chelsea rather than QPR. Because, you know, Brentford and Fulham have this sort of weird, weird rivalry where they sort of really really don't like us and we don't really care um in the same way that chelsea fans feel about fulham who are like we hate you and then they're like all right mate calm down you you are irrelevant to us qpr is a bit different qpr i think there's more of a sort of level pegging um and i think that that would that would change it for me i think if if tom kenny was going to chelsea for 10 million pounds more than he was going to you know liverpool then i would take that money and run okay yeah, I was in again. If it's with Tom Kearney, if you're taking 35 million for what a 27, 26 year old. But I, I think take. I was just using Tom Kearney. Yeah, yeah. As I mean, a specific I, I mean, example. It, I mean, I think it obviously has a lot to do with the agent than yeah. anything else in this situation because I think we're we're more exciting prospect than Burnley at the present time. Yeah, but would you be happy taking less money for a player if a player's getting sold, but the club gets less money for them? 
just so it doesn't go to a rival. No, I'd rather just take the money. Yeah, that was what I was... To be perfectly frank. That was why I was quite surprised Brentford, if they have done what they've done and accepted a lower offer from I think I think it's it's just uh, a coincidence, really, that we were in for him and then he's just gone to another team more than anything else. they're, They're just really weirdly desperate for cash now. They seem to have just decided that they don't have enough money and therefore they need to sell all their assets really quickly um, and, and it doesn't really make sense selling Yota for six million in the market that we're currently in is ludicrous when Fulham have just turned down a 20 million pound bid for Tom Kenny I still think that's not me saying that Yota's a better player than Kenny I, I think that's a, a, a ludicrous debate because they play in different positions but they're definitely two of the championship's best players I think is, is, is fair to say and anyone that's watched Yotta and you know even from a Fulham perspective you've got to say you know an, an incredible footballer and an incredible talent and for them to sell him for that low kind of figure you know You'd less than Sean he's, he's at least 10 he's at least a 10 million well, when you compare that Sonny Aluko who's on exactly the same kind of level in terms of the fact that he had a year left on his contract and a similar age Sonny Aluko has gone to Reading for more money yeah it's, it's madness um, and I'm not sure what's happening at Brentford but if I was if I was a Bees fan I would be very upset well um, there were two signings that came in it wasn't Gale and it wasn't Hotter but it was Johan Mollo who, to be honest 99.5% of us probably wouldn't have heard of him uh, before he joined for Fulham I am reasonably informed though that Dom was quite aware of Johan Molo from his time at Saint-Étienne. And then we also signed Jordan Graham on a season-long loan from Wolves. Now, the more I've read into these two players, obviously I was quite aware of Jordan Graham. I'm quite pleased with them as signings. I think they both seem to have a lot of talent and especially uh, crossing and set-piece abilities, both seem to have a lot of calibre in that sector. Yeah, what I think a good thing is obviously we haven't spent any money transfer fee wise on either player. No. One's on loan, one's on a free transfer because Molo obviously terminated his contract at Zenit St. Petersburg because of uh, the situations we've seen him and the fans over there. But I think although we now have probably half the league wingers in our books, they're two very good signings. I mean, Molo, yeah, I, I watched, his, watched him when he played for St. Etienne. Obviously, I watch a lot of Liga. Don't ask why. I just. Do you just do? And, uh, he's a very, he's a very direct winger. Got a very good left foot on him, and he can actually cross the ball. So that's helpful for us because none of our wingers last year. That's what they. That's what none of our players could do is put a ball in the box. And we signed two wingers now, as I mentioned earlier, who can actually deliver a final ball. We have lost our target man, though. Yeah, that is <laughs> yeah. correct. But Font's got a good header on him, and actually, I mean, it's hard to know of Abubakar, but who knows? He, he's he's big and tall. Maybe he if you hit the ball, ball him hard enough, it might bounce in. So Yeah, if you hit his feet hard enough and he's facing the goal, it might go in. <laughs> I think all we should do is stand him there and try and pull, like, get to the byline and cut it back at him and it might ricochet back into the net. Um, and Jack, quick word on jo- Jordan Graham before we head to the questions. Uh, Wolves fans, some Wolves fans, um, seem quite upset about him going for the season. Didn't look like he was quite fitting in with the manager's plans there at Molyneux though. Yeah, I mean, also, if you look at the, the depth that Wolves have on those kind of wide positions, they're playing a, a, basically a 5-2-3 a almost at Wolves now. Douglas on one on one flank and Doherty on the other. They have a lot of, of, of pace and, and two players who are both offensively and defensively capable, um, which is kind of not Graham's forte as such. He, he's much more of an out-and-out attacking player and their wingers tend to be a little bit more inverted and I think that he's not necessarily that much of an inverted winger. He's very much a, a traditional winger in terms that he likes to get out wide, get to the touchline and deliver. Um, and as we've seen from, from those videos, if you haven't seen the video of Jordan Graham's deliveries, do check it out on all of our social media. Um, but it's 
it's clear that he's one of those kind of wingers that likes to get the full back, take him on and, and deliver or get to the byline and deliver. And I think that that is going to be it's going to be good for us and very useful for us. But it's not quite the style that Wolves play. Yeah, it's good that a lot of their fans are upset that he's left on loan. I think it's not the worst thing for them. I don't think that's a, a position they particularly need to strengthen in. Um, but I think it, their loss will be our gain this season because he should fit our system far better than he's fit, he fits that kind of continental 5-2-3. OK, well, we're going to get on to some of your questions after this. All right, Sammy. All right. How do you feel about beer? Yeah, I like a can or two. How do you feel about free beer? Yeah, I like free cans as well. I like more than three cans, personally. Of course but you do. Here at Fulhamish Podcast, we have a deal for you which gets you free beers with our friends over at beer52.com. Please do tell more. So if you go to beer52.com and put in the code Fulham, you can either get eight free beers for £0 plus post and packaging or ten beers for £5 plus post and packaging. So basically, if you pay six quid, they deliver you loads of beers. That sounds pretty good. So you just pay for the delivery yeah, and you get free beers. Eight free beers. And does it support the podcast as well? My much-loved favourite podcast. Yeah, and we get benefits from beer52.com as well. Which means we can buy beer. Yeah, for ourselves and maybe even for you at the pub before a game. Good stuff. What's the code again? Fulham at beer52.com. One more time. Fulham at beer52.com. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here, and we're going to get on to your stacks of questions that have come in regarding the end of the transfer window and your thoughts. Plenty of articles, by the way, at the moment on fulhamish.co.uk, all about the transfer window. Uh, all of the boys, uh, the Fulhamish podcast lads, uh, got involved and wrote a little bit on their thoughts on the window. There's a great article from Adbron Smith, who's uh, column Craven Corner. The Craven Corner. It is back and uh, it is now available on Fulhamish. There's also a good article from Liam Venton up there as well. Uh, so check it all out at fulhamish.co.uk and you can get those articles straight into your inbox as well by signing up to the Fulhamish newsletter. Uh, just enter your email address at fulhamish.co.uk. But right, let's crack on. Jack, what are the questions that are coming in? We've got a, a live question. I like a live question. A Hello, live. Alex. Uh, Alex? Hello, Andrew. Um, and this is from Andrew Kirby who says... We've had a few young players show up against Caribou opposition. Who do you feel will feature in the first team this season and suggest Stephen Sessegnon as his sort of first go-to? Uh, Dom, do you want to I think lead you on? can look at Stephen Sessegnon because we don't really have another natural right-back, I guess you could argue. You've got Dennis Adoy, but he seems to be just covering every single position in our defence. So uh-huh. you could argue Stephen Sessegnon. I mean... You could, I could see Matt O'Reilly possibly making it towards the end of the season if he continues his progress well, but I'd argue keep him in the under-23s until possibly next season. Out of all the other young players, obviously I would have mentioned Dennis Adenarin, but or however you say his name, I never he's get gone. it He's gone, you don't need to say yeah. it anymore. He's gone, to, he's gone to Everton for an undisclosed fee, which I think I read could rise up to four or five million pounds. Hmm. So... I don't know, I'd probably say Steven Sestri and have anyone just because that's the position we're lightest in and I could see him bringing through youth there. But yeah, I've been really impressed with Matt O'Reilly, what I saw in pre-season and what I've seen in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, Matt O'Reilly um, was quoted by Slavisa in Get West London earlier um, and Slav was saying that he really expects Matt O'Reilly to be making more appearances this season, either off the bench. Um, but as Dom said, it's going to be difficult for Matt to get into the team because just it's such a congested, congested part of the squad. Uh, there's a lot of options in midfield. I would only expect him to come on, really, if we're comfortably winning the game. I just cannot expect to see Matt O'Reilly coming on if it's ever tight in any game even if it's against lower quality opposition but yeah I guess if we're 3-4-0 up 
I'd expect him to be on the bench, maybe coming on and just um, finding his feet. But maybe Steven Sessignon is one that we'd expect far more to be making significant contributions to the team this season. Yeah, definitely. I think that Tayo Edon's probably a, a safe bet to imagine he's going to get some minutes under his belt this year, especially with his versatility, sort of being able to play left back, right back and sort of centre defensive mid. So I think that there's there's probably quite a lot of scope for him to, to be getting a run out in the team, which is probably a good thing. I think he's probably start he's probably at that level now where he's starting to look like he should be getting first team minutes. I'd argue he's the most experienced out of the three as well because yeah. obviously he won the uh, was it under nineteen championships of England in the summer, yeah. and obviously he was part of our uh, cup run. Well, not really a cup run, but a cup games last season. So out of them all, I'd say he's the most experienced. But because Sessegnon is the only really other natural right back we've got. I'd argue he might make the most appearances. I also think Stevie Humphreys will stick around this year. I can't see him going out on loan because of the lack of sort of strikers we have. And if there was to be an injury to any of the two sort of our two main strikers, I, I could see Stephen Humphreys getting potentially a, a couple of minutes. Again, I think he's slightly raw. Um, I'm not sure that Humphreys is completely ready yet for first team action. I think we saw that against Derby last year when when he made his appearance. Um, that that said, he wasn't particularly good that game, but he didn't look. He didn't look 100% out of his depth either. He, no. you know, he, he came on and he did okay. I think we need to monitor his growth quite well. I don't, we don't really want to call it Woodrow Mark too. No, precisely. But I think that if, if there are opportunities there, and especially, you know, we'll, we'll come back to the FA Cup and, and there, will be, there will be moments in the FA Cup where we can maybe give some of the, some of the kids a run out, I think that he's probably one that we should be looking to, to get minutes into and, and, and to start to blood through as a kind of third option for our strike force. Okay, uh, Jack, uh, any more questions coming through? I don't think there's any more live questions, but we've had loads in on Twitter on the past few days uh, at Fulhamish Pod. Yeah, so thank you, Andrew, to, for that question. Um, I hope that sort of answers, answers it for you. We're going to start with one from Lawrence Craven, regular, regular contributor to the pod questions, who says, if you could sign a player who we have sold or let go in the past to play this season, but this season alone, who would it be? They st- I'm going to assume for this, the question state that we, they have to be still playing. Yeah, not you just any just player. Like, yeah, say, oh, we'll take Louis Sahar Bobby Moore. <laughs> no. um, George Best, he'll, yeah, he'll exactly. do a job. I'm going to say it has to be someone still playing. Um, yes. I mean, how ridiculous can we go? Because I'd instantly say Moussa Dembele the first. But Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could say that. But I, And yes, obviously Dembele is probably the best player we've had at this club, but... Also, I just don't necessarily think that picking a centre midfielder is the smartest move in the world. Do you know what? I would actually go for Moussa Dembele the second uh, if I could pick any player that we've let go. I think he's the player, potentially even in the last five years, I've been the most disappointed about us letting go because I thought he had such talent and he was playing so well towards the end of that season. I would love to have seen uh, him play for a season or two more and I, I genuinely believe had he been around last season he could have been the difference for us because we just really lacked that top quality striker up front obviously it was never going to happen that he was going to stay once his contract ran down so yeah I'll say Moussa Dembele the second I'll oh. go with it's a, it's a, it's a centre mid which we don't necessarily need but I thought we let him go unnecessarily that's Emerson Hyman mm-hmm. although we may not get into our team I think He's a lot. He is bet, I'd rather have him on a bench than Norwood or Cisse because I think he he does offer a lot of box to box midfield work and he's a very good passer of the ball. So, although he wouldn't necessarily fit in our team, I think I think he just I feel like this unfinished business with Emerson Hyman when he left Fulham at the time. Uh, Lewis has got in contact on Facebook Live with a cracking shout, which is Chris Smalling, exactly which actually what I was going to go for. Really, yeah, hundred percent was the was the one I'm going to go for. Smalling's not had. 
the you know obviously the best couple of seasons with United, and he hasn't you know you know he's obviously out of the England setup. Well, not out, but he isn't isn't starting for England anymore where where he was, and he's definitely not starting for United where, where he was. And I'm surprised to be honest that he wasn't let go towards towards the end of the window under Mourinho's United. But I think that someone with that amount of quality and you know his ability to play the ball. He's not. He's not a kind of lump it and leave it centre back. He is a ball playing centre back, and I think that he would fit in. You know, absolutely perfectly in this team. Centre back's probably where we're weakest um, in in terms of depth and cover, uh, and I think that Smalling's probably the the correct answer. Before Moussa Dembele the second, as I just mentioned, I think Chris Smalling was one of the very few. I was also very irate about going because I just remember seeing his potential massively and it was hard to turn down that offer from Man United yeah. but we were right to take that money as well like absolutely have we got a sell-on clause at all yeah, I think we might Chris do yeah. so if he, if he went to like I don't know West Brom for like 10 mil we would have got some money from if him. you'd asked me this before deadline day after we let Luca go I would have said Patrick Roberts um, who is now the focus of a very strange marketing campaign. I don't know if anyone's seen this for Celtic, where they're marketing as hashtag PR7. Oh, I've seen this. And it's, um. just, it's like, it's, <laughs> one, I know it's Patrick Rhodes, but it's, it's literally a lone player. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I'm, I'm, expect, I'm expecting him to make a permanent move there soon because I don't see him ever getting into the Man City side. Like, let, they've let go of Jadon Sancho, who I think has got a higher ceiling than Patrick Roberts from what I've seen him play in only youth games, obviously. But I think... I think he needs to just leave on a permanent for Man City. That move just hasn't worked out like he thought it would. I don't understand what he thought. I don't think he thought he maybe could have bursted into the Man City team. That clearly hasn't happened. I would expect him to make a permanent move to Celtic or maybe to a Premier League team next summer. I'm not going to lie to you. I have got a Robert Seven shirt on the way. Um, <laughs> it had to happen. As soon as he got given the seven, I was like, I'm having it. I was like, I want it. Got, got it. You can, tell, you can tell he's got a new job. Yeah, exactly. He's got he's got uh, he's got cash to burn. Isn't that like getting Oliver Norwood on the back of your shirt? I don't know. I don't really mind. <laughs> what, it's, a, it's a Fulham and Celtic player. There there are few of them, few and far between. I think in fact, the last one before Robertson Dembele might have been John Collins. Yeah, unless you're counting Steph Joe. Oh, I suppose it's yeah. Well, I mean, say, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I was going to say that was definitely after Robertson Dembele. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> What's next in the post bag, Jack? Right, so the next question is... That was a great question, by the way. I really enjoyed that one. Um, the Thank next you, Lawrence question Craven. is... Uh, we'll go with a simple one. Adam Farquharson, who says, Early days, but predictions on best slash worst signing. He does end this with hashtag hello jello. Um, <laughs> hello. <laughs> so, Sammy? Um, best signing. I, I think this one's quite simple for me, and I just think it's going to be Hui Font. I cannot say it like that. I'm just going. Rui Fonte. I'm going to go with Rui Fonte for the season. I don't like it. I just don't like it. Um, But I'm going to go with Rui Fonte for best signing of the season. It's also very cliche to go for Marcelo Jallo as worst signing, but I just don't think he's going to play enough for us even to consider him uh, under that banner. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be one of the loans who just isn't going to play for us at all this season and I don't know who that's going to be yet but I could see it being like a I could even see it being someone like a Shea Ojo if Jordan Graham keeps him out of the team I have a funny feeling that we may not see very much of Ojo so I'm going to go and this is slightly sitting on the fence for just one of the loan signings which isn't quite the answer that um, Adam probably wanted but no probably not Dom uh, best signing again I'm going to go for Rui Fonte. Thank you very much. 
But a worse signing, I'm not actually going to go for Jello because he's just a scapegoat at the moment. I'm just going to go for another scapegoat in Abubakar Kamara because of what I've seen, as much as I don't think Jello is a good signing, what, with what I've seen him play, he hasn't really made any mistakes. So I can't really fault him on that. And if we look at Abubakar Kamara, I think, I don't know if it was you mentioned Jello, but someone said he was like a brick wall. Whenever you yeah. pass the ball at him, yeah. it ends up about 10 yards further away. And what I've seen of a Kamara in the league and in the two cup games is he's just simply not very good. And I don't quite understand how he bagged 11 and 21 in Ligue 2 last year. That's the only thing keeping me po- uh, positive about Kamara is he must have some talent to have scored that many goals in a... It's a second division of quite high quality, the French League 2. Oh, yeah, no, it's, there, are, there are some good teams in. And Amiens, obviously, they played very well actually against Paris Saint-Germain the other week. They nearly actually got something out of that game, I believe. They brought in um, Lucina Traore as... Camera's replacement, which I thought was an interesting one. A, a, a big man, a big, big, a big human being. Yeah, he's six foot big, eight. Big and Peter Crouch. Yeah, he's a, he's a tall man, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think I think there is positives. I think you Cameron. could even argue from even though I think Johan Molo is a good player, I could argue him being the worst one because there's, there's I can't. The winger situation is so hard because when Pierson comes back into the fold, yeah, we're gonna have what seven, eight wingers for two spots. So I would argue Molo could be one of those, could be like a Zachariah Labyad. No, I just have, uh, I, this is weird, but I have a really good feeling about Johan Molo. I, I don't good, know what it is. No, I think he could, he can do really well because he's, he's a direct wing, he can do really well. But it's, it's going to be one of those wingers. Yeah, one will, of them. Yeah, yeah. One, it's good, it, Worst signing coming in the season will probably be looking back on a winger who just hasn't played at all. Yeah, so nothing that they really did wrong in games, just yeah. not getting enough game time. And as you said, it would just become a bit of a a joke that they never got on the pitch. I mean, I think it's probably a good thing if our worst signing for the season is someone that just didn't get any games. I think we can only look at that as a positive. The one I'm a little bit concerned about currently is Rafa Suarez, who... Suarez. Suarez. Um, who's... I'm pretty sure it's Suarez. Because it's Cedric, Cedric Suarez. Suarez. Uh, I thought it's actually Suarez... It's got, it's in, he's, he's, language he, ends in an the left back we signed from Porto. Yeah, that fella. Can we just call um, him Rafa Sores? Let's just call him Raf. <laughs> we just call him Rafa. Sores. Um, so basically, I, I'm a little bit worried that I don't know if he's going to get a game because I was, at the start of the season, I was going, we need left back, we need left back because, you know, against Norwich, you know, Cessna got torn to pieces by a wild shot and we were all in agreement that while Cessna is, you know, probably the brightest talent we've seen at Fulham, you know, in our lifetimes, he's you know, still susceptible as a defender. What I'm a little bit worried about is because considering how well he played against Ipswich, if Suarez is going to get a is going to get a run in, in the team, because I don't think Cessnion's droppable on that form, and if he continues playing at that kind of level, he obviously vaguely sees himself as a left back because he took the three shirt. You don't take the three shirt if you play left wing. I'm 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 sorry, like, it doesn't happen. So I think Cess still sees himself as as mainly a left back, but with attacking capabilities to get forward if needed. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep Suarez out of the team because I, I think that he, he sees his best opportunity is, is to stay at left-back, to, to, to basically break, because I don't think he can see himself above the likes of Cabano or Aite, and I think that's an interesting one. It is, actually. I guess he must have thought at the beginning of the season, oh, maybe it's more likely for me to play left-wing, but he must be looking at the team now and looking at the squad list thinking, well, I might need to stay at left-back. Precisely. And also, you know, while I'm really excited about Rafa and who we've brought in and his clear potential and sort of, you know, attacking capabilities, he's still another one not necessarily known for his defensive duties. He, we've brought in another attacking, flying left back who, 
you know, likes to get forward and, and deliver and, and has a good delivery. And that's obviously something to get excited about because we haven't seen that many good deliveries from left back in the past year or so. But it, it, he is very much a, an attacking an attacking outlet rather than a defensive one. And, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that he is defensively capable and defensively sound. And there's nothing to suggest that he isn't. But it's still something that is yet to be sort of confirmed. And when we when we see him in action, I'm sure that that's something we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to uh, know obviously quite Obviously, we'll come obviously halfway during the season with a lot better idea because half these players you sign, we haven't actually seen play yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone's talking of Fulham left-backs from blasts from the past. I don't know if anyone watched uh, Belgium play Greece yesterday, but Costa Staffelidis had an absolute stormer. He has, he has felt like last season he was quality. <laughs> he was unbelievable. And I, he's just, I think, to be fair, though, in the system we play now, he wouldn't actually be that bad. No, I always no. quite liked Staffelidis. I, I kind of saw through some of the very dodgy performances. And I mean, cause there were was, a couple of it games. It was weird, he though, because in the preseason when he signed, he was unbelievable. He was just scoring goals left, right, and centre. I remember he scored. I think he scored against Motherwell. I think he scored against Crawley. And then it came to the season, and he just we realised, oh wait, he's, he might need to learn how to defend. Yeah, but he also lost his confidence big time that season as well, which which must have he been... lost it completely. I think after the Leeds game. And then yeah, it was it, it was his terrible. Confidence that was destroyed after that. Right, let's move on for another one. This one's from FFC Joe, who said, "If you'd been offered this transfer window's business in May, would you have taken it? And if not, what else would you have wanted?" I'd have taken it in May, mostly because of the contracts that were offered to TC and Cess. And that was the thing I think I was most nervous about going into the summer transfer window. Yeah, I only gave the window a 7 out of 10 on the on the Fulhamish website. A lot of that for me, though, was my thinking that the loan system that we're employing at the moment isn't the best long-term solution for Fulham. We've but got a big question about that, so let's leave that. Okay, I'll come off that. But, yeah, I'd have definitely taken this back in May. We've kept our two, two biggest players. We've signed a lot of quality. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed about Aluko going, but I'm not devastated. So, yeah, I'd have definitely have taken it. It could have gone a lot, lot worse is the main way I think about it. Tom? Yeah, I would have definitely taken the transfer window. We've signed a striker, we've, signed, we've re-signed Callas at centre-back and, oh, we've, and we've signed a left-back who I, th- I think Rafa, Rafa can be a good left-back for us. He's got a good delivery on him. The only thing I'd want on top was po- possibly a goalkeeper. However, Button has looked very, very good this season and I can't really fault him, so there's no reason to drop him. But going into the transfer window, I did believe we needed to sign a striker, a centre-half and a goalkeeper. Yeah, 100%. I, I, would have, I would have taken it, full stop. Um, in in May Uh, and I think that we all really enjoyed the fact that there wasn't just every day hanging over us who's coming in for Kearney next Um, and that's like a major major kind of plus for us I think to to not have to worry about you know when our when our star players were going to get snapped up and I think in that in that sense that you have to consider this a successful transfer window we'll go again dipping into the post dipping into the post bag um here we are. Here's one from FFC Hector, who said, "Should we expect any significant signings in January, considering the, considering that the Aluko money was never spent?" Don't. No, because if we look at our January transfer windows under Shade Khan, apart from the Metroglou signing, hasn't ever been a key signing. If we look at uh, Jukanovic's, was he? Oh, we definitely signed McCormack under Shade Khan. Okay, yeah, but that was no, that was in the summer. I mean, in January. Yeah, I think January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, apart from Metroglou, there's been no 
massive signings. If we look at and that was an act of desperation. Uh, yeah, if we look we at January, down. not last season, but the season before, we signed what Zachariah Labiad. Obviously, we're the transfer ban, so we couldn't. We can only sign players on loan. We had Labiad, who did he even play a minute for us? Uh, he did play a few minutes. That but, was in yeah. the banter era. For the yeah, and then but, and then obviously <laughs> got Michael. We got Michael Maddell as well on loan, which eventually turned into a permanent deal. And who did we sign last January, if anyone? I can't quite remember. I actually cannot think... Uh, oh, we did sign Syriac last January, didn't we? Exactly, my point proving that. We don't ever sign a key no, player not, or key asset. Syriac was bits. Syriac was business. I think I still feel like I mean, I, no, I feel like there was unfinished business. He's gone to Turkey now, I believe. Yeah. Um, I also still think that Sonia Luko's money is more making up for some of the signings that we've brought in this summer and was well, recu- yeah, recouping it, we, some we of we our losses. We made £12.5 million pound profit, basically, through Luko and Scott Malone. But... And then that sort of helping us with financial fair play with the likes of Abubakar Kamar crossing five million, Font crossing eight. eight. Yeah. So, okay, right. That's that's all well and good. But bear in mind, we've also taken in money for LVC, uh, Dennis Dirant now, who's, who's looking like it could be like a decent, hefty sum of money for for an under 18 player. For Cameron Burgess, we sold. Uh, for Richard Stearman, we sold for for an under. I think it's fee. just that I think we've made profit in this window we, I think we're up no, we, could, we have probably made net profit but the thing is if you're going to sign a key player in January you're going to have to be paying over the odds yeah. if, we, if you look at the signings when Aston Villa made last summer of Scott Hogan and Conor Hurahane they had to pay over the odds because Scott Hogan was not worth what they paid what did they pay 15 mil for him Yeah, 100%. he's not worth that I, I agree with you I, I think if we have made profit, Jack, I don't personally think it's that much. I think there are other fees uh, that will have added up for Fulham this, yeah. and, and even um, fees for loans as well. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying that what, what FFP allows, and especially with the process of amortisation, is you too, especially with the amount of money we've put onto longer contracts and that kind of thing, that will have helped us long term with FFP. So if we need a signing in January... We can make one. We have, we have given ourselves a platform financially to be able to splash out in January without any sort of repercussions. Yeah, I think we, we have which the we haven't to, had before, yeah, no, we which had we to. haven't had in the last two seasons. And what I'm saying is that the reason I don't think we made those big signings, if you know, despite the fact that last year Slavisa was crying out for a signing, I still think part of every time Slavisa does this is he's giving himself an alibi for if he doesn't manage to, you know, create and make his kind of uh, his achievements, which he's proclaiming. If he's saying well, I'm going to get promoted this season. And then we don't get promoted, and he's, he's making for his own back. Well, yeah, precisely. But if he says beforehand that he was like, "Oh, I wanted this, 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 and this," and they didn't sign it, he's giving himself a, a ready-made alibi. So I, I don't know how much I buy into that. But last year we were we were clearly short a striker, yeah, who who was committed and wanted to fire the club back into the Premier League. I don't think we were financially capable of making that signing. Whereas no. this year, I think if we need that, we are financially capable. Yeah, I think a bit like Sheffield Wednesday did last season, if we can see the finish line, but we know we need some more firepower up front, if Font gets injured or something, and he needs £10 million and Slav guarantees that this £10 million striker will fire us to promotion, yeah, Shade will dip his hands in his pockets because he wants that Premier League football more than anything in a, a, a £10 million investment, which he can do within the realms of FFP, if, if what you're saying is correct. Um, he will do it because it, it's promotion at any cost at the moment for him as long as he stays within the bounds of the rules. Um, have we got time for any more questions, We Jack? have one more question, a long question that we got from Pure Power on, on an email which I really went looking to address and, and something you mentioned earlier. It says, Pure Power says, very long one, otherwise I would have just tweeted it. He said, after reading your transfer reviews, I think some of you have been a bit harsh in the number of low knees we've brought in. I think having a lot of low knees is a good move for us. These are championship quality players, except Suarez, who has a purchase clause, 
and would probably become Deadwood if we went up. This also reduces the pressure to give them game time and keeps the squad relatively small, something which Slav seems keen on. Look at Newcastle, for example. They've gone up, having brought in loads of players last season, a lot of which aren't Premier League quality and weren't cheap. 6 million on Matt Sells, 5.5 million on Grant Hanley, for example, and now they're struggling to offload them. That's played a part in them having quite a bad transfer window along with, you know, Mike Ashley. But obviously there's the issue that we highlighted that if the squad could be left short of instrumental players if we go up or that we might not be able to re-sign others if we if we don't go up and we need them again but there's also the fact that we've about broken even while adding a lot of quality something which wouldn't have been otherwise possible otherwise i think we've done really well with our use of the loan market who uh, overall basically what you're saying is is the loanies we uh, amount of loanies we brought in really a bad thing it's not Sam. a bad thing if you look at i know Huddersfield went up through the playoffs but most of their players, well, not most of their players, but most of their key players are actually loanees last season. And they've signed most of their key players, apart from the goalkeeper, on permanent deals or got them back on loan. So if you utilise the loan market well, it's a, great, it's a great system and it's what it's there for. I just think it's high risk. I think that there are situations where, yes, you can play the loan market perfectly. And in the case of Huddersfield last season, it was brilliant. And they brought in some fantastic additions and some of them have stayed with them into the Premier League. Aaron Moy being an, an amazing example of that. And they've now purchased him outright. Casey I'm just, Palmer, Izzy Brown. Yeah, oh yeah, there were more as well. I just Moy was at the front of my, foot, um, my mind. But I do genuinely believe, though, if this season doesn't go quite to plan... And let's say that Callas, well, Callas is definitely going to be a key part of the team. Uh, probably one of Piazon or Graham are going to be a key part of the team. Um, Suarez could potentially be our first choice left back. That's four players already that are instrumental to, to how we play. Potentially, again, it could be that all four of them don't feature. And then next season, we don't go up, but we're looking to keep our momentum. And then you've got to replace all of these key parts of the team because for one reason or another uh, we can't re-sign them on loan because Chelsea want too much money for Callas or Jordan Graham's got um, uh, pl there's plans for Jordan Graham again at, at Wolves I just think it's not very good long term strategically to be relying on loans so much I feel like two or three loans in a squad fine but I think there is one or two too many but saying that I think in the case of Newcastle especially, I think um, Pure Power, or Alex, um, does make a fantastic point. Has changed my mind on it slightly, but I'm still in the camp that we have one or two too many. I don't know if you agree with me, Jack. No, I, I think that I, I'm a big fan of the loan market, and I think that teams that do well in the championship have to be financially stable or make one big bid for it. I think you, you go one of two ways, and I think that if you do make that big bid for it like Villa did, um, I think that eventually Villa are going to be in real trouble financially because they're not going to be able to sign anyone next year unless they offload some serious deadwood and, and make a serious amount of cash. And instead of doing that, what I would have done, I, I think the loan market is a brilliant way of bringing through upcoming, you know, Premier League quality players who haven't quite made the, you know, made the grade yet. You know, Shea Yojo, for example, who I think will eventually become, you know, a leading light at Liverpool. I really do. And I think that a lot of people at the club and a lot of people at, at Liverpool who we've spoken to are, are very optimistic about Ojo's future. And I think when you're able to bring in players like that and, and, and use them, for even if it's just for a season, you know, next year he might go back to Liverpool and we might bring in Ryan Kent 
you know, who, who's also a you know excellent young talent at Liverpool, or we might bring in you know a young Manchester United winger or a young Chelsea winger or or whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter. What I'm saying is, yes, you have to reintegrate those players, but there's always going to be a market for young players who haven't quite you know broken into their first teams in the Premier League yet. And I think that it's important to remember that that sort of factory system isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon like it doesn't matter if you know if we lose Callas next season yeah at some point there's going to be there's going to be another player another centre-back from a a Premier League team who's look at Harry Maguire for example who was out alone at Sheffield United and and did all those kind of different bits and came through those systems and has now established himself quite young as in the England camp I think there's in you know there are always those players it's just a question of finding them and with the statistics you know department that we have and the ability to look at players from a wider perspective and a wider area, there were always going to be players that we can find that do those jobs. And I don't have any problem with carrying, like, sort of making those players refresh every sort of season, if you will. I think if you look at our success with the youth teams over the summer, the talent's clearly there to be found in the loan market with these players who are at key size. I'm even quite surprised that Lewis Cook hasn't actually gone loan to another team from Bournemouth this year because it doesn't look like he's getting in. He was the captain of the under-19 side and the reason that under-19 side did so well was there was a lot of players in there who were playing 30-40 games a season and Lewis Cook was doing that at Leeds obviously Leeds fans are still annoyed that he left at Bournemouth and then now isn't playing there but there's clearly the talent there so if you can utilise the statistical analysis well and if you can can utilise again the loan market well and getting the right players in I think it's a it's a great thing Okay, well, I think we'll have to leave it there, Jack. I think that is it. Thank you for all your questions. I hope that even the ones we haven't addressed directly, we've addressed sort of within the podcast as a whole. Um, thank you for everyone for listening on, on Facebook Live. It's been it's been lit. We've had a good time. It has been indeed. Uh, Secretary Jack, no need to name the podcast today because it's a Fulhamish Extra, so it kind of already has its title. Yeah, Fulhamish Extra Transfer Roundup. Or something exactly, like that. something along those lines. Um, yes, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. A little bit different, done from the comfort of my own living room. Very comfy. I wouldn't mind doing this again. Yeah, no, me neither. Exactly. Uh, We'll be back next Monday uh, looking at the Cardiff game, which is at uh, Craven Cottage on Saturday. Minus me, uh, I'm on my holes. So Jack Collins is taking the reins. That's a worry, isn't it, everybody? That is a worry. It only go well. When Dom's on the buttons and me on the mic, it's it's always fun. So I'll be listening on a beach. Um, Thank you for listening today. Uh, Make sure that you uh, keep sharing the podcast wherever. Jack's got a key message. Um, This week, definitely keep an eye on the website. We've got a load of really good articles coming. If you haven't read um, Adam's... Uh, Craven Corner, which is now a, now going to be a Fulhamish staple. Definitely read that. Um, Liam's uh, roundup of the transfer market is brilliant. And there's also all of our views on what Fulham's transfer activity was like. We've got a couple of things coming up this week, a debate about whether selling Shawnee Aluka was the right or wrong decision, as well as some Russian journalists talking to us about Johan Molo. So keep an eye on the website for all sorts of fun things where your primary place for sick Fulham content. He's been dialing up all the Russian hacks. Right, um, Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Don Betts, thank you very much. Been all right. I've been Sammy James. See you next week. Bye. Toodles. Players. Players.